welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Tonight I'm talking with Kat Heath. She is a heathen and a witch, and she's an author. She wrote the book Elves, Witches, and Gods, Spinning Old Heathen Magic in the Modern Day. And thank you for coming to, to talk with me. Thank you for having me. It's very excellent. A listener suggested you to me through email and said that it sounded like we got into the same kind of shenanigans. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. we, yeah. And then you and I talked <laughs> back and forth, and I was like, yeah, this is sounding really familiar. And I started reading your book, and you know, even though the the mechanisms are different, the the work is familiar. So. It's it's very, very interesting. And you said something that was really interesting, that you're from the same mountain chain across the ocean as I am in Appalachia, which some people don't understand that. So why don't you why don't you start in with that? Okay, so there's this idea that um before the continent started to split majorly, the kind of like the area where I'm from and going up into Scotland and like Ireland as well. They, um, they were connected to what eventually separated and became, you know, those parts of the North Atlantic Islands, which is what some folks call the British Isles nowadays, and also, like, at the Appalachian Range over here. You know, if you can, you can look up maps online, and they, they look like this weird jigsaw puzzle. It's actually kind of cool. Yeah. But when I saw that, I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, when I was in Britain, how old is Morgana? She's 32. So 33 years ago, Mm. I felt very familiar when we went a little bit into the North country. Mm. I was like, oh, this is, you know, at first I thought it felt familiar because, you know, my great grandfather and grandmother were English and Welsh, but no, I felt even more familiar up in the North. And I, I was like, what is that? And then I figured out years later, oh, when, you know, there was a Pangaea continent that was the one big supercontinent, it was the same land. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, that it was the same land. And that makes me wonder if that's part of why the the folklore and the magic and the the supernatural beings that we meet in Appalachia are so similar to the ones of Northern England, Scotland, and Ireland. I think Wales too. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to remember this map in my mind. But yeah, I, I actually think there's something to that idea. Like you in, you know, when you headed up north, mm-hmm. whenever I go into Appalachia, I feel that sense of familiarity as well. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I know how this works. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I recognize this vibe. I know how this works. I know what I need to do. And I'm on a few folklore groups on Facebook for uh, Appalachian region. And some of the things that people talk about, you know, it's so familiar. And often, even though I'm not from Appalachia, I'm like, you know, I know this. Okay, right. So what we do where I'm from when this happens is this. And people are like, oh, wait, yeah, my granddad does that. And mm-hmm. You know, there's things like my dad taught me when I was a kid, like uh, divination with the key in the Bible. The only other people I've ever come across who've even heard of that are from Appalachia. Yeah. Yeah. No one else. No one else. <laughs> yep. I heard about that in West Virginia. Um, we we do dowsing with mm-hmm. sticks. We don't mess with those pendulum guys. 
If mm-hmm. we did, it would be a key <laughs> or or a yeah. wedding ring. That's the other thing you can use. The wedding ring, yes. My grandmother's wedding ring, that's always the one. Yeah. Yeah, you can use, especially if it's been passed down, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yes, we. my grandfather taught me to douse with, with a stick, and we were really good at it. You know, when, when somebody on the ridge line where he lived needed a new well, they'd call grandpa. And if I was there, I'd trot along with him so that we could kind of check each other, you know, and he he never failed to find a spring or a, a well, you know, something somewhere someone could dig. And I, you know, I've seen, uh, manuscripts from Northern England and Scotland with illustrations of people dousing with the forked stick, just like we did. Mm. So we never did like when I was a kid, cause I had, I had a weird background. Um, when I was a kid, we didn't really do the dousing with the fork stick. My dad actually showed us how to make like rods. Mm-hmm. And then he had us find the sort of like water lines in the house to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, he had us all like going around the house, like with <laughs> these like rods. <laughs> and I actually have some rods for my kid as well. And she likes going around the house doing the same thing. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. He, <clears throat> he made yeah. rods too. And we used those for electrical lines. He made copper rods. And mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting. My mom, his daughter could not douse, but my dad, totally not related to anybody on that side of the family, even though people say stuff about West Virginia and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, (laughs) uh, He could do it, which, you know, was kind of odd. So who knows? I don't know what it is. Like some people are just amazing at it. And other people, they can have all these competencies in other forms of magic and practice, but then the dowsing, they just can't do it. Yeah. I always wonder what that's about. You know, maybe it's like, the people who are used to working magic more actively tend to have, you know, they tend to have more of an ability to subconsciously affect the what, like the rods and the the stick. You know, they, there's some kind of telekinesis going on without them really realizing it. Mm-hmm. But um, or some other kind of effect, <laughs> you know. Um, but it is definitely an interesting question, Stephen, because I regular pendulums, those crystal ones. I can't do those at all. No, they don't do anything for me. They just give me nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. I get nonsense from those things. Yeah. It's not even something that looks like nonsense from Mm. another language, you know, because I I know enough languages to know what looks like what and nah, Mm -hmm. it's just blather. (laughs) It it gives you like, you know, one yes, one minute, and then it changes a yes to a different, you know, to something else, like it swings the opposite way. It's like, no, this is yes now. Because you're like, this makes no sense. These answers make no sense. Okay, show me yes. Show me no. All right, you've changed your mind. Got it. You're going back in the box. Yeah. Yeah, we're done with you now. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> you suck. Yeah. You still suck. You're going away. <laughs> I'll get my stick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my sticks. I'll get my runes out. <laughs> so um, that's that's one thing I really like. So were you a heathen first or a witch first? So, mm, and we might want to explain what a heathen is too, just in case. So there's a bit of prologue here because um, I actually grew up with spiritualist family. Now, interesting. There's different meanings for spiritualist nowadays, but the kind I'm talking about is the religion that came out of upstate New York in the Victorian period and kind of spread through the Anglophone world. And my dad's family got into it like three generations ago. So, 
I grew up with a spiritualist dad who healed people and whose face would change and voice would change when he, his spirit guide came through. Oh. So that was kind of like the normal thing in our house. Mm -hmm. And we also had, you know, a lot of dead coming in. My dad would treat, like, train me in stuff like uh, psychometry. You know, I'd walk past his bedroom door sometimes. He'd be like, okay, tell me what you can get off this object. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, what, again? <laughs> He'd teach me how to do stuff like manipulate energy. We'd talk a lot about how to deal with different types of spirits. So that was already going on right but then when i was 11 10 or 11 see because where i grew up it this part of lancashire was predominantly settled by norse people who were kicked out of ireland back in the viking period mm -hmm. my mom's family came during that time her maiden name is an anglicized old norse name so that's kind of like um and so our history classes in primary school, which is the school we go to until we're like 11, they were focused on the different sort of invasions that made our country. And so we focused a lot on the Viking Age because that was such a big thread in what we did, mm -hmm. like in, like our identity, really. And um, so we, we did stuff like we, we wrote an essay in runes one time at school we had lots of different activities, making Viking shields and whatnot. But we also had this video, this like book, like we did this like reading, silent reading thing during the afternoon after lunch. And there was this book of myth and I got it out and I started reading it. And I don't know what it was, but I got home after school that day and I started praying to Odin and Frigga and Balder. You know, I, I just felt something in the pages and I started praying to them you know, all hushed and like worried that my parents were going to catch me because, you know, my, my family's used to weird, but I, I kind of felt like that was a little bit too weird for, for my family at the time. So I started doing that. I started praying to those gods. And then this kid came into school and she was like, I've had communion. I can drink wine at church. And me being me, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go do that too. So I got confirmed just so I could drink wine at church. <clears throat> <clears throat> decided it wasn't for me within like four months. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, kind of was like, what do I do now? Okay, I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing before. But by this point, I found the witchcraft books in the local library. So I started messing around with witch witchcraft books. And I was like, nah, this is it, man. This is it. So I probably started praying to the Norse gods at like 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. And I got into witchcraft at 13. Super stereotypical, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess like the, the heathening came first and then the witch. But back then, like the 90s in that area, we, we didn't have the internet. We had like three books in the library. You could only get two of them out because one of them was naked Janet Farrah. <laughs> and the librarian would call your mom yeah. and be like, your kid's getting the naked people out again. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you had two books, really. And the nearest stores near shops where you could buy anything like it were like an hour away on the train yeah you had to go into the city to get anything so you were really just kind of isolated and kept separate from you know all the sort of what would become the online discourse you didn't really have access to the mailing lists or mm -hmm. the sort of like the zines that people were creating back then but it was also really good because i took that to the moors 
you know, I, I, I took my practice to the land. And I think, I think I would have hated coming up now, honestly, because there's so much to kind of pull you away mm-hmm. from what actually matters. And I get very easily distracted. <laughs> so it was actually a blessing coming up back then. And then, you know, over time, I kind of re- I learned that it was called heathenry, that other people did it. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you know, there was a huge witchcraft community online. But I knew that the, the Wiccan style of witchcraft was not for me. Yeah. That wasn't what sang to me at all. You know, this idea of like a god and a goddess. And it didn't, it wasn't it. Yeah. And the first time I saw, I came across a page about Sather online which is an old Norse form of magic. It, it translates roughly to witchcraft. Some people translate it as a form of shamanism. But, you know, for the first time I came across that word, I was sure that the person writing about it was wrong because there was, such, there was this sense of knowing this word and this word being like, there was a pull there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to find out more. I have to dig into this. And this was before I had any decent sources. Yeah. So it was going on the nastiest, jankiest justice sites you've ever can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Because it was 1997. Yeah. I was, I was at the local college. And back then, the people who wrote about it made it sound like this D&D game you played inside your head. Oh, yeah. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you come across a troll, like, like draw an I'll has rune in the air and push it towards them. It's like, what? <laughs> That's, that ain't it. So um, it just kind of sparked this massive exploration for me. And in the end, those sort of heathen and witch paths just converged. Yeah. Yeah, with save, it's it, to me, that's traditional witchcraft and, and save are sort of the same thing, kind of ideas, just different parts of the world and different parts of the land a little different ways of looking at it but it's a very similar kind of it's just very earthy and i think there's a really good case to be made that a lot of what we see in early modern witchcraft sources Mm -hmm. and the the sort of documents from trials and whatnot from the insular sources particularly you know so scotland england mostly the the kind of things that emma Wilby writes about you know um I think there's a lot of good evidence that chunks of that can be traced back to the heathen period, mm-hmm. the early English and the old Norse sources. You know, the things like um, the familiar. Yeah. You can find that going back. You know, the Saith in old English was Alfseden, right, which means Elfsather. Like they were put together as the same word. Yeah. Whenever you look at like the Norse sources, you have this pattern of a witch and an elf together. So mm-hmm. like Frey, who rules Alfheimer, who, which is like the realm of the elves, and Freya, who is a goddess who taught Seder to the Asir, the, the main group of gods. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Heimdall, who's probably an elf, if you look at the clues, and also very magical. And he's also, you see him in stories with Freya. You know, he has a back in a couple of stories. He's like her BFF. So, yeah, and even through like the saga material you have in Arrow Odd Saga, you have this um, this one guy called Alf, which means elf, mm-hmm. Alf Bialki, elf of Bialkaland, and his wife, 
who was the priestess of Frey. And they're like they're both magical. They're both mm-hmm. working together, they're both magical. So I ca- I kind of feel like you can see this this sort of pattern going back. Mm-hmm. This and this is something that Alaric Hall talks about too. You know, he actually directly traces the sort of pattern you find in the old English sources in charms like with Fastitcher to testimonies like Isabel Gaudi's testimony. I was about she, to bring her up because yeah. to me, you know, mm-hmm. she's talking about the fairy who is the familiar and mm-hmm. how she went to visit the queen of the fairies. And, you know, there was no, she she t- sort of talked about the devil a little bit, I guess. Yeah, but it, but it mostly, kind of read like prompting, didn't it? Yeah, mostly it, it was the other stuff. And, yeah, the the familiar going wasn't. Going to the mound. Yeah. And, and getting the arrows from the, uh, the elf boys. Yes, the elf boys with the little yeah, arrows. And then the and, devil, like, shaped it in his own hand. Yeah. Like, before giving them out to witches. You find that in with first stitch of this idea of the smiths who were likely elves shaping the arrows for Hagtessen, who were kind of witch, to shoot at people. Yep. It's it's the same pattern. You also see um like Martin Luther, the church reformer, mm. is Tishlid and he talks about elf shot as well. About but it's again it's been shot by a witch, not the elves. Yeah. It's made so it's, by the elves. It's shot it's made by, by, the, by the elves, yeah. And if you look at the witch like familiar relationship the familiar is a source of the power and knowledge of a witch, mm-hmm. you know. So, in a sense, like that, those arrows are kind of symbolic of that, really, aren't they? Yeah. Because so. an arrow, like thought, is straight, and it mm-hmm. moves in a straight, you know, movement. It goes from one point to the other, and that's how your thought should be. It shouldn't be all like here and there, sideways, scatter shot. It should be like an arrow. Well, there's that element, but there's also this idea of like these arrows, this shot has been a kind of curse. Yes. With very specific physical symptoms too. Yes. When you look in the old English text, like the Lacnunga, you know, they have lists of symptoms that are caused by different kinds of beings. And often they don't tend to disambiguate between those symptoms caused by witches and those caused by elves because they were very similar. Mm-hmm. And that's something you find in the Irish sources too. They didn't bother separating them mm-hmm. because the symptoms are so familiar. You know, there was no point even trying, like so similar. There was no point even trying. You know, you might as well just treat what you're seeing because it's the same. Same basic the same remedy. The same remedy would help those issues. So, you know, your symptoms are stuff like um, torso pains, digestive issues, uh, delusions, nightmares. They at one point there was an association between what we would now recognize to be epileptic seizures and a kind of divinatory trance that involved a form of possession with the elves. So that was called ilfig. And that's related to the old English word goodig, which is what we get giddy from now. And that means possessed by a god. So you know, you have some pretty pretty specific symptoms of being messed with by these beings. And I get approached quite a lot by people to troubleshoot problems, mm-hmm. especially living where I live. And I still see those same symptoms. I still see the, that those same sort of correlations even now with the people that I deal with in the modern day. 
And those older sources so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were <clears throat> just saying that where you live is is got some weirdnesses to it. Oh and yeah. yeah. <laughs> um I oddly lived very near to where you live now at one time. So um the the idea of the mist that you can mm. see that isn't really a mist or a fog mm. is evidence of where the the veil is thin the mm. boundary between worlds is thin and uh that is i think that's a very apt way for people to understand what we mean when we say th things are odd mm. that there is a a thinness between our world and another one mm -hmm. uh whether you think of it as the land of the dead of the the elves or the fairies the good folk or the gods or all three you know that's <laughs> i think in some cases all of the above I, yeah all depending of it on the gods in question yeah yeah the idea of the dead and the the other folk the other crowd inhabiting the same kind of realm mm -hmm. is pretty old so you know it's that i kind of expect them sort of coming together yeah, you know, whenever I do necromancy, I'm I'm expecting to also make offerings to the alpha as well. So yes, <clears throat> yeah, that that seems to be the the sort of the best idea to uh, go about it. I really enjoyed in your book. I I want to say to everyone this this book is full of information. It is, and it's useful information. And I mean, there's no, there's no dead space in here. You, 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 there's no dross or fluff or anything. It's all really useful, good stuff, very well researched. And also I can tell you've practiced it over and over. You're not just making stuff up off the top of your head and saying that sounds good. And it's like when I write a recipe, I test it before mm -hmm. I give it out to public people. Um, yeah. Not everybody does that. Uh, so I. That's a huge part of what I do, the testing things out. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you are, and thank you for all the really nice things you said about my book. <laughs> um, it's, it's lovely to hear. But when you're trying to, I wouldn't say reconstruct historical magical practices where we we don't really have an idea how it was done. Mm -hmm. We only have the observer perspective. You know, we don't actually know what was going on within the practitioner and what they were saying and, you know, things like that. When you were doing that, you kind of have to go off a lot of clues and then do go through this period of testing things out. Mm -hmm. And so because of my approach, I can't just throw things together and not test it. No. You know, I have to test it out. And that was like, I don't know, like the, it's one of my favorite things to do in the world, honestly, <laughs> put together these magical experiments and go do, do something weird. <laughs> and see what happens. Heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. It's, um, it's ever since, I mean, at the beginning of the book, I talk about this experience within a burial mound in which, you know, it's the first time that I went to Satter inside a burial mound at night. 
a couple of friends came with me they were interested and also it's just not a good idea to go on your own no you know humans are a problem too yeah so i'm more worried about them most of the time yeah <laughs> so, so you know like i said my friends were good sports we went we fasted all day we went to this burial mound after going in a few other places during the day and it was one of the most amazing experiences ever. Whenever pe whenever I tell people about it, they're like, oh my God, that sounds shocking. That sounds like really scary. And my friend was, one of my friends was terrified. You know, they really, they, they, they're no longer into witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> you broke them. <laughs> I, I think I might have. Well. They, they'll still talk about it. They'll still talk about what happened and be like, oh my God, I've never been so scared in my life. That was insane. Um, but really, unless I'm getting effects like that, you know, I'm kind of aiming for that level of visceral experience when I'm testing. If I'm not getting that, or, I mean, not all practices are going to give you that. Right. But if I'm not getting the, the equivalent of that for that practice, I'm going back to the drawing board mm -hmm. again and again until I do get that. So, yeah, the, the idea of churning out exercises just to fill a book it's really it really goes against what i'm trying to do so yeah it's it's all about ramble just to say that yeah well that's okay that's okay because it's a it's an interesting story about you know your friend who became a christian again yeah maybe they're not daring enough to do the witch <laughs> thing you know it's, it's it's i think they i think they underestimated what's out there yeah. And that's a common problem, I find. You know, people who haven't experienced how intense this kind of thing can get, mm -hmm. how intense, like how much more powerful some of these beings are, it's very easy to become overconfident. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get, just kind of get this attitude that, like you see in that meme about bashing pots and pans and telling whatever to get the fuck out of your house mm -hmm. and consider. Sorry, can I say that word? <laughs> eh, don't say it too often, but yeah, once okay. or twice is okay. <laughs> okay. So I'll try. I'll try not to. Um, <laughs> but you've seen that meme: the the person yeah. bashing the pots and pans, and you know, get out of my house. Like this is what I do now. That I, I used to do rituals. This is what I do now, and it's good enough. Well, sometimes it's not. Oh yeah, and you'll find out real quick. Yeah, but pe there's so many people out there who are so overconfident. Because they haven't gone to those wild places, they haven't encountered what is actually out there or even a small amount of it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that was my that my friend's problem. You know, they really thought that they could just get away with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in a burial mound with someone in the middle of the night and you've already had one dead person come through, your friend, your friend is half possessed by the doorway, like the exit mm -hmm. that you're going to have to crawl through and things just shift. Mm. And you're like, whoa, I am no longer on earth in like the embassy of the dead, but I am now in the dead realm in the embassy from middle earth. And your friend is like, how do I shield? Oh, no, like, All right, I'm, you should I'm have pulling, I'm pulling this. <laughs> you should have known right. that. <laughs> I thought yeah. you knew that. Ooh. Why are you asking now? <laughs> you right. <laughs> you asked like, that before. Watch yourself. <laughs> I was like, watch yourself. Like, get your shields up, okay? Things are just flipped. <laughs> we things are getting real. And um, 
oh my yeah that's when I pulled the plug but that overconfidence can be so dangerous and I think that ultimately was what made her like made them reassess and um you know eventually find the way back to Jesus mm-hmm. yeah in a way it it I mean, there's no animosity there, which is really good. Yeah. Because sometimes people can become very hostile. Yes. After experiences like that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I guess until you've been in a situation where modern witches can be very, very intellectual about things, Mm. it's all very theoretical. And there's a big strain of, I don't know what they're called now, um, but back in the late 90s and early 2000s, we called them the fluff bunnies. Mm-hmm. The, the love and light sparkle, beautiful, everything's wonderful. And uh, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It, it's, this isn't a safe practice. I mean, no, no true anything having to do with spiritual realms other than the physical realm is truly safe. Mm-hmm. But witchcraft, particularly if you have anything to do with any spirit that you don't really know about, it's, mm-hmm. it, they're just like people in a way. You know, do you go running around naked in downtown Baltimore with people you don't know? No, you do not. Oh, no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So why would you do that with spirits that you're not familiar with? I think this really speaks to a bigger problem, though, as well, and how a lot of people conceive of these beings. You know, there's this idea, and you see it a lot in the discourse about familiars, you know, this idea that familiar is there to obey the witch. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have a very anthropocentric view of things. You know, the human is the center of everything. Mm. Rather than, okay, these beings have also got agency. You and know, they've they, been they here a long this, time. Yes. They're also people. They're other than human people. They have agency. They're going to act in their own best interests. They have run agendas. And, you know, until you have that mindset, I think it's very, very easy to fall into that mentality of, you know, just not really respecting them. Yeah, and, and not really seeing the danger there. Yeah, and not respecting a spirit is, I mean, it just, to me, it doesn't track with anything logical, but I think a lot of it comes about in people not understanding that these are beings. These are not mm. made-up concepts. They're not something that came out of a comic book or fiction, Mm -hmm. they were real and they are real. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the ancient gods and goddesses perhaps aren't quite as as strong as they used to be because they haven't, they haven't been worshiped by humans. They Mm -hmm. haven't been given the adoration or had any, you know, give and take with humans for a long time. But in my experience, the Norse, gods probably because the northern countries didn't convert for a really really long time and even then it was kind of like oh yeah that's my cross turn it over that's a thor's hammer yeah um we've got that 
I think that they were, they're just stronger than mm. a lot of, you know, the Greek and, and Roman deities. I, I, African gods too, the West African, <clears throat> boy, do they, if they want your attention, they tell you and you get it and, <laughs> and they're there and they're not to be fooled with. Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't really have anything to do with like any of the African deities. There was one time when I hung out with some people who they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I just kept smelling cigar smoke everywhere afterwards. Mm -hmm. And there'd be no cigars. I started making really rude jokes, like really filthy jokes, mm -hmm. just <laughs> inappropriately. But I was from a time of my life. I didn't care. <laughs> and... One of my friends is like, you know, this is this one being. And I'm like, well, I don't I don't work with these beings. I don't work with these gods. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour out, I'm going to leave out a shot of whiskey and I'm going to be like, hey, you know, it was nice to like have you coming by for a bit. Um, I don't know how to properly honor you, but, you know, here's some hospitality. Um, happy trails. That works. And then the uh, the cigar smell went away, mm -hmm. and you know, I that was it. But it was fun. <laughs> Legba liked you clearly. I don't know who it was. Um, cigar like smoke said, and dirty jokes. It might have been Legba. Really, not any any kind of practice I've had exposure to. So, you know, it, I just kind of rolled with it as it happened, and was like okay, there's a big spirit making contact. I'm going to just show respect. And uh, exactly to me, that's well. to me, that's what you do with a guest in any, in your own mm. home. Right. So why is it so hard with, is it because people cannot see them sometimes or can't feel them or. I think it's because a lot of the way that we think about animism is kind of broken on the whole. Yeah. You know, when you look at the scholarship around animism, the initial, like, there's two definitions that you find in Graham Harvey's work, and that is the old animism and the new animism. Now, of course, there is no old or new animism, really. This is just these, the academic definitions that came up. So the old animism was basically this idea that everything's got a spirit. And the really funny thing about the term animism, no one calls it that. Like, no one used to call it that. No. But the funny thing about the term like animism, it was taken from this physicist's work in the 18th century. I don't remember his name. It was a German, Aust German or Austrian guy. And he had this idea of being two extra, um, two extra elements. So like physical elements. One was animus, which he took from the Latin word anima, soul. Mm -hmm. And that was how alive something was. And the other was phlogestron which has, I don't remember exactly, but it has something to do with like how burnable something yes. is, like how much carbon. Yes. And so it's like, you're either alive or you're burnable. You know? <laughs> and the guy, the the uh, Victorian guy who started because, you know, Victorians and empire, they started to like notice that people in different parts of the world had different beliefs and believed in spirits in different ways. And, you know, they started trying to classify it. And this guy was like, oh, this, this believing in spirits and everything Oh, if only I could call it spiritualism, but those goddamn spiritualists took the term. <laughs> we can't so have I'm that. Go, so I'm going to go with this weird guy's um, physics term that he came up with and call it animism instead. 
Everything's so, sold. So everything in like the old animism is very concerned with trying to figure out how, like what, what beings actually have souls and how you know that, right? And that also gets into this kind of idea of infantilizing these different cultural groups because then the idea came that, well, you know, children talk to inanimate objects as if and treat them as if they are, you know, actually animate. If you've, if you've got a kid, you've seen a kid get angry at a chair as if the chair actually meant to hurt them. Mm-hmm. And, you know? and they'll yell at it and kick it. Yeah. 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 And they'll blame it full on. And you have to spend time teaching them that, no, no, the, the chair didn't do anything, love. Um, you just walked into it, kid. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they kind of conflated these ideas and it became this really patronizing thing. Mm-hmm. But then in the, I think it was the 80s, this other anthropologists came along and he had the absolutely groundbreaking idea, not really groundbreaking, of talking to a group of people who you might call animist to see what they actually thought. And so he made friends with Ojibwe people up in Canada and, you know, they they started to teach him about their beliefs and he came up with, well, not came up with, but like what he recorded formed the new definition of sorry, animism. And so, you know, this was a more, and I, I think this, this new, the new definition tracks a lot more with what you find in the Norse sources too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read it and I'm just like, yep, yep, I can find evidence for all of that. So the new definition is basically, um, the world is full of people, only some of whom are human. People, will make themselves known for communication. That's how you know that a person is person. And if, you know, other like trees, plants, rocks, whatever, haven't communicated, they're possible people. We don't know yet. It's having that comfort with shades of gray. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously they've got their own agendas, their own, like they're able to form relationships. And, you know, like all people really, they're able to form relationships. So then you start looking at what humans can do. And then you start applying that to what these other kinds of people can do too. So, and I think that's a way more elegant and useful way of looking at animism. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like when I look at the, the witch, pagan, heathen communities, I still see so much of the old animism idea in there. I feel like it really holds us back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are seeing a lot more discussion of animism in a very, in in a, in a more useful sense now. You know, especially in heathenry, we've got the um, Nordic animism movement that's come about. We also have um, Ryan Smith. He wrote uh, "Fire and Ice." I don't remember. I'm terrible with book titles. I had to memorize my own book title, and I was still looking it up like two months after. It's horrible. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> way of fire and ice. Yes. Sorry, Ryan, if you're listening. Um, he's he's also written one about animism that's going to be coming out next year. So the conversation is is happening now. the The movement is starting to get momentum, and I I feel like it's all part of this transition away from this kind of um, Augustinian worldview that we've had in like the Christian world for so long. Yeah. So. You know, it's going to take time. <laughs> we're going to mess up. Oh, of course we are. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> of course we are. You know, we're not. 
as you said, we're not reconstructing because we can't really. Mm-hmm. We're constructing. We're constructing while trying to root things in in those the, original, yeah, and authentic manner. Yeah, and you know, like when you and start discovering, yeah, because you know, spirits will step up, mm-hmm. gods will step up, and sort of give you pointers. Oh yeah, the amount of magical sort of workings I have gotten from, you know, the the alpha that I work with, or some of the gods that I work with, or ancestors. It's I've got a little book of it now, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's all it's all effective stuff, but it, it's also not stuff that I'm allowed to let other people do. So, right. I mean, some things I can share. Mm-hmm. Other things, other things I have to adapt to share. Right. For them to be okay with it. But this is all part of it as well. You have to. You also enter. You're not just recon. You're not just trying to revive and rediscover. You're also trying to enter into these relationships that will help continue to teach you mm-hmm. and help you to continue to grow and even discover new ways of doing things. Because if we think that the people back in the day knew everything there was, that the the, the good folk and the alpha, the, whichever groups you're working with, had shown them everything, I think we're, I think we're just totally wrong about that. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have everything either. Yeah. So. Well, it also, it also lets out, I mean, it leaves out the whole idea that uh, humans have a creative urge, have a desire to know, to learn. And I just, I don't like stale liturgy. It upsets me. <laughs> if I'd wanted that, I would have stayed a Lutheran. Well. Oh, boy. I never did so you get know, confirmed. you know stale liturgy. Yes, yes. <laughs> you oh, know stale liturgy. Oh. <laughs> Got a lot of XP in that one. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't know. It just seems to me that if you just do the same thing over and over, you're not learning anything. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, write up a liturgy, there's there's no problem with, with pagan liturgy and having it and having mm-hmm. songs and, and poems that you can use and uh, spellcraft with words. I love spellcraft with words. Mm-hmm. Um. That's that's not a problem, but if you never do anything different, mm. every generation of witches and heathens and priests and priestesses and uh, vadunsi, whoever it is, they are going to have something new that they learn and then add mm. to it, and that's how it yeah. should work. We don't need to be innovation. like we don't need to be like the Catholics and the the Protestants and just do the same thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's worked real well for them, hasn't it? Very happy people. So happy. Very well adjusted. Very well adjusted, yes. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, not everybody, but still, it, it, there's... If you're speaking with a deity, it speaks back. And mm-hmm. it behooves you to listen and learn from that. And, Absolutely. And then you have something new that you can then pass on. Yeah. And I mean, I really do think that they want that I have a friend, he's called Ben Wagoner. He has done an extraordinary amount of work producing books for heathens. And he has a saying that he thinks that the he thinks that we have exactly the amount of sources that we should have for our era. You know, like that what we have 
was intended for us to just have that and no more because you know that whole like needing to grow and just uh, what works for us now you know we can't we can't have like a massive big blood at Gamla, Gamla Uppsala you know yeah. we can't go there and sacrifice nine dudes like yeah it's not that, how that we do things lambs in jail yeah <laughs> that's how you go to jail um you know we we can't do the same things that they did back then and you know if I were to start eating cremation ash like pellets of cremation ash like little owl pellets I'd probably get locked up yeah but th there's this woman who was in fear cat Denmark who used to totally rock that oh you know we we don't need to do that. <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily what we need to be doing. So I do. And I think also that creativity, inspiration is a sacred thing. You know, mm -hmm. when you look at inspiration, we, it's been very cheapened in modern English. You know, inspiration, you kind of have a clue in the word, inspire, to breathe in. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of aligns quite well with the the Welsh idea of inspiration, awen. You know, it, it's May I think it's related to the word awel, which means wind or breath. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea of like, you know, when people have these amazing moments of inspiration, like the it's breathed in, it's something that comes with spirits. It's, it's like from an oven, the, the Welsh other world. And it's holy. It's holy and it gives you powers to do things like Taliesin. Taliesin, he could, um, he knew all his lives that he'd had. Mm -hmm. He, he, some of the things that he said kind of suggest this idea of like pervasive oneness mm -hmm. and an ability to affect change. Like, I mean, his words, his poetry, he could like, you know, create change with them. So, you know, I think inspiration is very sacred as well and creativity just in general. And if we're not bringing that to our work, then I think it is just going to get stale. We're not dancing. We're not in that dance anymore. Yeah. We're just, you know, we're, we're looking at something dead. Mm -hmm. it, it becomes a fly trapped in amber as opposed to something that's living right so right i i agree with that um i'm a painter and my husband's a musician and we both write and there was a speaking of inspiration and having spirits you know speak come into you and speak mm -hmm. out of you um a few few summers ago my husband decided to um, uh, work with with uh, magic mushrooms, mm -hmm. psilocybin, to help his depression, which he is medicated for, but it you know doesn't always do the thing. Yeah. So it was his first time doing it with intent, and while he was doing that, I was upstairs and I intended to paint a specific painting. I had an idea in my head as to exactly what it was going to look like. I was going to paint a southwestern uh, desert uh, adobe city, mm. you know. Uh, yeah. And that's what I was going to do. I had already done the texture on the background, and then I painted the background black, and I was going to do all these bright colors. Well, as, as time went on and as I was waiting for it to dry, my husband started playing Native American flute for the first time in years. And he used to play it all the time. Uh, it used to be a big part of his spiritual um, spirituality. 
And and he always was, you know, he's Jewish, so he was always really kind of hesitant with the Native mm. American flute because it's not his culture. Yeah. He doesn't want to take from another culture. Um, and in fact, when we were at a, a powwow, uh, one of the, the storytellers had asked him to play, you know, in between his pauses in the story. And uh, it was really, really sweet. He was a, a very old Lakota man and... and it was just really nice, and he did that. And afterwards, somebody said, why don't you play something for the ancestors? Mm. And Zach played Hava Nagila on it because those are his ancestors. Yeah. All of the Native American people, they, they hugged him. They were like, you get it. You understand. Yeah. So here he is. He's playing this instrument he hasn't played in years because of, of how he had not been feeling well. And I start hearing it, and I'm so happy to hear it. And I start painting. I'm trying to paint this. these, you know, there's kind of square houses with, you know. Yeah. I'm trying to paint that. That's not what's happening. That is not what's happening at all. And as I listen and breathe in, I start painting in these big broad strokes curves and sort of jagged lines and 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 a big sweep up here and then a a gold sort of oval and i look at it and it's the face of a coyote done in a very 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 rough very expressionistic way and i went coyote what are you doing in here And so I I just, I let go. I just let it go. And what it turned out to be is a painting of Coyote and Cocopelli, who plays the flute, dancing together. And I feel like they had come through his music and just shivered in there and and I let it happen, you know, because I did try to force, you know, those little squares and there's, there's a little tiny, you can see the Pueblo village a little bit in the background yeah. now that it's done. But they're like, no, you're not painting that today. They, no, they're like, no, well, okay. You can have that for a little bit of background just to put us in a place. And so we're not, you know, just all in the <laughs> dancing in the sky, in. <laughs> you know, but no, other than that, no. <laughs> so that's, you know, I feel that, you know, that yeah. you have to let it in and then let it out, let it move through. I think you. a lot of creatives have that. I mean, I don't know, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love? Yes. Which sounds like such a like basic thing to bring it up in this podcast. But she has a book called Big Magic. And it's all about basically her experience of inspiration and stories having agency. Mm-hmm. And how to work with stories with agency. And I saw this from like this best-selling author. And I'm like, oh, my God. Because I've been writing this book since, I think it's like 2019, these two beings just showed up and I could hear them Mm -hmm. and I could see their world and I was getting snippets of their culture and I've been writing them since then. And I've just been kind of getting these downloads of the story and there's definite ways that they want me to write things. At one point they stopped allowing me to write because... They said that I wasn't using my own voice. Mm. And it's true. I was getting like, I mean, when you're a creative, you get, you psych yourself out sometimes because you look at how 
other people do things and you think, oh, that's so much better. I need to try and be like that. Yeah, don't do that. But yeah, yeah. I've done it. Well, I started doing that and it shut down. Ah. And then when I sat down and I asked them, it was like, you need, to, you need to use your own voice. We're not doing this unless you're using your own voice. Okay. We came to you, not them. So I started using my own voice again and not really giving a crap about trying to be anyone else. Mm -hmm. And they came back again. And sometimes, you know, there's the stuff and it's really, really wild. The, the city that it's set in is sort of like an older version of Carlisle. Like imagine a post-human world where the good folk of that area have taken over again. Mm -hmm. And so the area around Car it's set in the area around Carlisle is called Kelewele and it's split into three, like the city is split into three. And what was really funny is like Carlisle just came into my brain. It was just like this, okay, yeah, it's going to be in Carlisle. When I looked it up, when I actually got onto map level to be like, okay, how am I going to lay out this city? When I got onto map level, there's a river in Carlisle that is etymologically related to my mum's maiden name. Mm -hmm. There's a part of the city that is, you know, my dad's name. There's a part of the city that's named after my dad's employer when I was a kid. And it's like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> and then stuff like, um, they have opinions about how you write certain to topics. Mm -hmm. So anything to do with sexuality, they've got a lot of opinions about that because frankly, they think that humans deal with it really badly yeah. and in a really disrespectful way. So you always have to be very careful writing about it. And I was trying to think of a word and I was like, come on guys, tell me what word you want me to use to describe this thing. All right, give me the word. And I'm there with my notepad out trying to get some right. automatic writing going on. Anyway, my friend Morgan Daimler, who you should also have on your show, by the way. She's been on amazing. twice. <laughs> okay, so my friend She's Morgan, great. we've known each other for years, right? So my friend Morgan, they messaged me at the blue and they're like, you know, I got a message like saying that um, this one word like for um, intimacy, blah, blah, and I figured you might want to know it. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Do you want to see what I was writing in my book earlier? That's amazing. <laughs> and it's stuff like that all the time. Just like these little things that let you know that, you know, these aren't just characters. No, they're they are people. They're beings of agency. Mm -hmm. And even created characters can also become people. Yes. Have you heard about John Constantine? About how his writers have seen him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> if, I, if I were Alan, well, I think I'd probably do what Alan Moore did and just be like, mm, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to go over there and see, talk to him. No, 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 no. Well, no, he came up to him and said, I'll tell you the secret to magic. Any cunt can do it. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, Constantine's my favorite comic book character anyway. But, well, but yeah. I saw him in the grocery store here in Athens once. Constantine? It looked like him. It looked like him. Wow. The bleached hair, the, the suit, the trench coat, the tie kind of half undone. And he was, he had a, a, an employee's like badge on. And I, you know, I'm leaving and I stop and he's leaning on this, this uh, stand next to the, self-checkout line so he's supposed to make sure people aren't stealing anything and he just had the most exasperated irritated so 
done with this shit look on his face. And he had a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. <laughs> I could see it. And he was just like, he looked like he was just, I need a cigarette so badly. And I looked at him and he looked at me and he sort of stood himself up and just, I was waiting for him to say, what the hell are you looking at? And I just just went mm, and then left. I didn't have the the gall to go up and see if his name tag said John. I didn't. I didn't want to know. I did not want to know. I never saw him again. So if That's he was really, just a, an employee who looked like him. I don't know. Who cosplayed as him? Or, yeah, maybe that's what it was, but I never saw that face again, you know, that person. So I was like, somebody somewhere in Athens called up a demon and wasn't supposed to do that. And somebody had to come clean it up, and he was really not happy about it. <laughs> Probably not. Who knew what was happening in the freezer department? You know? <laughs> in the meat cutting department, there is something right. bad happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get our meat here for a while. Mm. <laughs> Never yeah, buy it um, there anyway. So <laughs> that's that kind of reminds me of um, when I used to go on when I used to go on the Civil War battlefields quite a bit. You'd see people on there, and you'd be like, "Is that is that person wearing like is that a ghost wearing like Civil War uniforms? Are they wearing a Civil War uniform?" You just like staring at them, watching them, and as you get closer. It's like their appearance completely shifts. And for a moment, they'd had like something overlaid on them. Mm -hmm. you know, so maybe there's, an, maybe there's an employee in Athens who doesn't look like that normally. But that day, that day something, something happened. Yeah, I didn't stick around to find out. I was like, if it really is him, he's up to something and I probably don't want to be mixed in it. And if it's not him, that's fine. I'm fine with yeah. that. It's just somebody who looks like him. I'll probably see him again. Never saw him again. Whatever. Okay, fine. I'll just... But yeah, maybe it was an overlay. But, I mean, then again, when I worked for the UK version of Walmart, which was called, which is Asda, they've, they've been bought back now by people over there. So it's not Walmart anymore. But when I worked there, it was UK Walmart. And... There's one time I'm coming up onto my break and I'm going up the stairwell to the break room and this guy comes up the stairs behind me. He's wearing a staff uniform and he just speaks to me in French, like expecting me to understand him right away. And I did because I, I, I was really fluent in French at that point. So I just turned around and answered his question. We, he followed me into the break room. We sat and we talked. I got back to my shift like half an hour late because I didn't notice time moving at all oh. during this time. And he had this really weird message as well. He was just going on and on about how he'd been really, really sick. And he realized it was like a spiritual attack. And he said this prayer and like, then he vomited and felt better afterwards. And I'm like, all right, okay, yeah, cool. Like, you know, nice to meet you and all this. Like, I've got to go back to work. But when I went back to work the next day, and I was like, does anyone, has anyone seen the cleaner guy? His name is blah, blah, blah. He's a French speaker. Like, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, did you see me in the break room yesterday? I'm thinking, shit, was I, sorry, was I, <laughs> was I talking to myself or a wall or something and people just left me to it? Is this what happened? And they were like, no, we just saw you, but you're on your own. There was no oh. one there. And I asked the cleaning staff, was this, do you have a guy on staff? And they're like, no, we don't know who you're talking about. We've had no new employees, especially not one who speaks French. Oh, man. It was, 
and it lasted for a good 45 minutes. Oh, man. Fully immersive experience. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. A lot of people don't understand. You know, sometimes spirits are things that are, that are you know, you can see through them and they're wavery and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't fully materialize all the way. And sometimes they do. Yeah. <laughs> and that is... That's a thing. And usually you don't figure it out until later, like you did. It's like, oh, well. He had no dead vibes or anything. No. He felt like a regular human. And it was only like afterward that I was like, I mean, his conversation topic was weird. It was strange that it was all happening in French. Like he knew to that he could speak to me in French from the get-go. You know, because I mean, in Newcastle, Newcastle upon Tyne, that, not expecting That's not a lot of French. Yeah. You know, like you're not expecting your average cashier to be speaking French. No. But this guy is like asking me questions in French and then it the entire conversation was in French. So interesting. Yeah, it was a really and again it makes me wonder what kind of spirit he was. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think he was a human. No. So. No. Unless I just got really punked by all of my co-workers who all worked together to pretend Nah, see that. But jokes on them because I won't have cared anyway. Yeah. That... <laughs> you tell me the dude doesn't exist. All right, yeah, moving on. Yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> violate no. the rest of weird shit. Yeah, I'm not gonna Sorry. worry about it to the point where I think I'm crazy. I, I, these things happen. Okay, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's no big deal. Yeah. Sometimes there are people you see them and you kind of go. Oh, Hmm. You know, they don't have the human vibe. Mm. And not that they're not people. Mm. It's that they're not human people. Or yeah. there's something just a little bit weird. They're people, but they're not humaning right. Yes. Yes. Mm. They're trying to look human. <laughs> they're trying to act yeah. it, but they... Something... Yeah, there was, um, when I lived in France, because I've lived in a lot of places, when I lived in France, I lived on this campsite, and it was full of shadow people mm. from the get-go. It was in a bayou, you know, with tapestries right. at 1066 and all that. So I lived on this campsite in bayou, and there was, the first night I was there, I'm seeing all these shadow people as I'm going to the uh, the bathroom block, and I'm like, oh, God's sake, shadow people. <laughs> <laughs> Just like effing and jeffing across the campsite, like, oh, these these little (laughs) a-holes and I just kind of got on with it because you know you do when you're used to it you do yeah I know one day I'm coming back from somewhere it was probably the the bathroom block again and I saw the these kids and there's this one child and she's arguing this other child and she's saying no we need to bring him in here and sacrifice him to the beings inside the tree hmm and I was like, no, 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 no sacrificing anyone, okay? We ain't sacrificing anyone today, all right, or ever. And this this kid turned around and looks at me, and she's like, but they said they want him. Oh. I said, well, they can just want. They don't get no children, I'm sorry. And I kind of like leaned into like the, the circle of trees. I'm like, you don't get any kids. And I looked at this little girl, and she's glaring at this kid she wanted to kill. Oh, my god. And goodness. I'm talking like seven-year-olds here. Oh, my God. You know, this other kid's traumatized because this this other kid was dead set on it. And I'm looking at this little girl and I'm thinking to myself, 
I'm going to do that thing where I think at her and see if any any being inside her responds. So I just kind of thought at her, I know you're in there. And her head just snapped to look at me and her eyes, that was not a human child in there. Mm. You know, she. I think she was possessed by some being. And the, the, this just this feral look coming out of the face. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, I see you. Now, I didn't say it, but I'm kind of like thinking it. And so, you know, they eventually moved on. And I hope the kid got some help eventually. Or, you know. Or it let loose distance, went someplace yeah, else. made it lo- let loose. But things started to escalate on the campsite. It got to the point where the, because we were running this company for children to go on vacation with school groups. And we had these big tents and they'd stay in like six in a tent, these huge tents. And they were on the circle on the section of his campsite. And things got so weird that the school group started to ask for nighttime security. Oh. Which nighttime security was mostly me or one of my two co-workers with a cricket bat and a floodlight. Oh. <laughs> like the big Batman light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one night I was up and I was like waiting and just kind of bored at my board like, oh God, I'm doing this again. I'm so tired. I'm bored. It's The time is creeping by. This was pre-internet. So, you know, yeah. we didn't have much to do, but go rearrange the fridge a few times. Yeah. Um, and I saw this shadow person run down the, the section of a campsite that was ours, go right into the beam of a light and just kind of stand there. I ran after it with my cricket bat because I'm like, hey, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've just got this horrible thing with her running after things. It's bad. <laughs> so it, it it's really, really horrendous. The things I've run after today is just... So I ran after this shadow person with my cricket bat like trying to chase it down because I'm like, what if it is a human after all? What if it's a human? If it's a human, I'm going to get them and scream at people and call the gendarmes, you know, all that kind of business. They, they disappeared. Yeah. But I wasn't the only one of my co-workers to find them, like to see them. My other co-worker, she went to go brush her teeth one night. She's She leans up from, she, she didn't bother going to the bathroom block it was like this faucet yeah yeah so she just went there you know like the little water fill up places yeah. she just went there and she's brushing her teeth she stands up and there was a lamp like a street lamp just above the faucet she 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 gets this feeling she's being watched she turns and the shadow person just steps in under the light mm. she came running back to the the sort of staff tent she's physically shaking she's freaking out and going oh my god just saw this i'm like oh yeah, yeah the shadow people here yeah. She's like, what the? I'm like, yeah, I've been seeing them for like months. Like they've they've been here all along. They haven't done anything to hurt us yet, so that's good. Um <laughs> oh, I'm sure she was happy with your answer. <laughs> but it got to a point where it got to a point where my coworkers were so scared to go to the bathroom block that we all had to go in like a buddy system. Right. Right. For the final month. And then when we were closing down, the things did take a malicious turn. You know, the, at one point you know, we, we went out, we came back, the cover had been removed off one of the lamps in the tent and the light had been turned on and someone had put a plastic bag over it. Oh, Yeah, yeah, another time. And we thought, oh, it's that family down the way, the, the people from this really rough area of Paris, they're mad that I won't date their, um, their son because that was a thing too. And 
So, like, you know, I went to the gendarmes, I made a report. I'm like, I think there's some sabotage going on. Because I'm still thinking, you know, let's cover all the bases. Right. No, you you don't look at the supernatural first for any of these things. No, You always assume it's a human being a bad actor. Mm Mm-hmm. So, one morning, myself, my two co-workers were laying in our inners, on our little beds, like our little pods in our tent. There's no kids on site. We'll just get to lie in, sleep off a hangover, as usual crap. And there's this noise against the side of a tent. And it sounds like someone is throwing something against the side of a tent. And it's the same spot of the tent each time. Mm. And so, like, we start whispering to each other. We still think it's one of the, the Parisians down the way. And we know that they don't speak English. So we're whispering, okay, right, so when we get to, we should all climb out quietly and then get to the door We've got our bats, right? And we'll run out and we'll like see because there's just this straight stretch of pathway with no trees between them and us. So if there's someone running away, we'll see them. Right. You know, if we run out quick enough. So we ambushed the the person. The person we thought was like the the local Parisian per, like the Parisian person. We ambushed them. We came running out of the tent with our bats. There's no one there. Mm. But what there is on the ground is a pine cone just placed next to our tent, the same spot where it was hitting against the wall of the tent. And I just looked at that and I'm like, they probably did the lamp too. Yeah. So then I was just removing the lamp every time I went out. I was just like unwiring it. Yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah, try it now. (laughs) (laughs) Just sheer bloody mindiness. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing though. It's like them meet my ADHD and it's like disaster. It's <laughs> awesome. Zero impulse control. <laughs> no, I, it, it makes sense though. You don't want to leave it where they can mess with it and cause Mm-mm. disaster. You know, you don't want that, but I do like the yeah. idea of you running out with cricket bats and chasing oh. after shadow people. <laughs> like I said, the, 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 the impulse control for running after things is just ridiculous. Today, I've run after stags. I've run after packs of wild dogs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> shadow people. Yeah. It, it's just, there's just something that goes off in my brain, and it just, it happens. You're not supposed to be here. Get out. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> but but it, you, were, you were in charge of protecting kids and your co-workers. Yeah. So, yeah. It actually helped me to get a job as a bouncer when I returned back to the UK. See, there you go. That experience of, I didn't tell them about the shadow people, <laughs> you know, but uh, the the whole like security and running after people thing, I just didn't tell them that they were non-human. Yeah. No, you got to leave some things out. You can't just, you know, spew that yeah. out to every person that you meet. Yeah, my ex-boss cop would not have looked kindly on that one. No. No. <laughs> Well, you could be a bouncer here in Athens, though, because, you know, we have all kinds of weird stuff that happens here. So there you go. I don't think I could be a bouncer anymore. My um, my joints are not as good as they used to be. Yeah. yeah I hit my 40s and uh, everything starts going downhill, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. You get a, a letter on your 40th birthday that says, hey, your warranty's up. Mm-hmm. If you want to pay some extra, maybe we can last a little longer. You know, give you an extension on it for five years, <laughs> and then something I mean, twenty-five. Twenty-five is when you lose the uh, the hangover immunity. Yes, 
And then, you know, you, you hit your 30s, you think it's bad, but then you hit your 40s and you're like, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just in pain now. I kind of look at stuff like this and I think, if you can't treat other humans right, what hope have you got if you're going to witchcraft or something? Yes. Of treating other beings right. And those other yeah. beings could flatten you, you know, mm. in a spiritual sense. You might suddenly have this malaise and not know why. Maybe. In a physical sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the amount of people I, I... I have a friend whose dog died after manifesting the the sort of like, you know, symptoms of elf shock. Oh. Yeah. And the whole thing was really, really weird. They messaged me like, oh, my God, I think something happened to my dog. You know, we were fine. Then all of a sudden she's like doing this like whole thing. Like she's got these symptoms. And I'm thinking that's like the off symptoms from the Lacnunga. And so I, I said, okay, try this thing. Try, try this one thing. She was at the vet. She's expecting to be told that the, the dog needs to be put down. She tries this thing. The dog recovers enough to go home. But I think the damage done down the line, you know, unfortunately the dog passed way before the time. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was really sad. Yeah. Really, really sad. You know, the, and I know people who have really narrowly escaped death because of the good folk. You know, they, they angered the good folk and, you know, the good folk then did their thing. They almost died. Mm-hmm. They're lucky to be alive now and hopefully a lot more mindful yeah. of what they're doing. Yeah. So, you know, these these other than human people, some of them, they, what, what's the old saying? Dead, mad or a poet. Yeah. Yeah. It. The, one of the people I was talking with once years ago, she was a really sweet girl. She was in, we didn't have a coven. We, we called ourselves a witch's crafting circle. And mm. so basically we would do crafts together and talk about magic. We did some stuff. We did some shamanic work, but we mm. weren't really a coven. And it was a lot of fun. It was mostly a social group. And people knew that I had had experiences with the good folk and would ask, you know, what, what did you see? What was it like? And it, mm-hmm. it started out with little lights in the woods. It started out mm-hmm. so simply, so charmingly, you know, so pretty. And, and it's how they lure you in. Yes. That's how they get you. And, uh, you know, so I was telling the story about the little lights and this one girl, God bless her. She looked at me and she was so sweet. She's like, oh, you're so lucky. And I went, hmm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'd love to see those. You know, no, 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 not necessarily. Don't get on it. Yeah. (laughs) If you're not already on my radar and you don't have a massive draw, that is, it goes beyond the, oh, that's so sweet. Don't do it. Yeah. And I said, you know, no. And she's like, well, why? Why wouldn't I want to? I was like, you're not supposed to see those things. Mm-hmm. And if they show themselves to you and you don't make a big deal about it, you might be okay. 
without knowing all the things that you need to know, but mm-hmm. you might not. And I said, you know, this, this, I told the story about the thorns that I had told where, mm-hmm. you know, one of my friends broke a, a piece of thorn off of a, <laughs> almost a full circle of thorns around an open grassy place in the, in the field next to our woods. And I told him to put it back and, he said he would and he didn't. And, you know, we all went through the woods and were fine to get back. And it took him a long time to get back because he got lost and pixie led and he kept getting caught in these thorn bushes that he hadn't seen before, you know, and they they were grabbing his leg and getting in his hair. He had really long hair and, um, you know, creeping up his shorts into places he didn't need to have thorns. And, you know, by the time he got out, I was like, you deserve that. You mm-hmm. you brought that on yourself. I told you. He was lucky. Yeah, he was. Honestly, he, he was. was very lucky. He really, really was. And, you know, I after we got back to the house, I gave him a cup of milk and I handed it to him. I said, take that mm-hmm. up the hill. He's like, well, will you come with me? I said, no, because you brought this on yourself. Yep. So if you don't come back, I'll come check on you. You're brave enough to pick that thorn after being told not to. You're brave <laughs> enough to take the milk. and And say you're sorry. Yeah. Because uh, I'm not going to take a chance of offending them by, you know, being there with you when you're giving abject, it better be abject, apology, because I have to live with them. I, I live honestly, here. Honestly, he wouldn't have learned the lesson as well if he did go with him. Yeah, that's kind of how I needed that level of fear. Yeah. You know? So. Some people like that. Yeah. And, and there was that, you know. So I said to her, I said, so would you really want to deal with that? Mm-hmm. You know, I was always careful with Morgana when she was little. You know, I was like, don't ever go towards the woods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was she was a very adventurous kid. I can't imagine why I named her Morgana. You know, she's, she's, <laughs> obviously she's going to pay attention. And mm-hmm. she went running towards the woods one afternoon. And I, I saw her go. And I stood by the house and I watched. And about halfway to the woods she's she's told me now several times she said the the path started to move Mm. and and she could see it it was like a snake it was moving and and she was like oh and she turned right around and came running back to me good instincts and i said there you go Mm. now let's let's explain the other things you can do Mm -hmm. if you're ever stuck someplace and you think you know the way home and you should know the way home but you suddenly don't. This is what you do. Yeah. It's what you do. You turn an item of clothing inside out. Yep. And if that silence descends, if you're in that, you know that silence, oh. a really creepy sound. Yeah, the Oz factor is the UFO people call it. Yes. Is that what they call yeah, it? Yeah, the Oz factor. Oh. I just call it the thing that happens in some places. <laughs> now, you, me. now you know. You and have a fancy things word. Things sideways. Yes. Things are about to go sideways. That's a sign. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found that helps to sort of break it is ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. But also your bundle of keys will do. Yeah. If you don't have like a bell on you. Yeah. Everybody has bells on them. But um, yeah, I always use, I hate those, those silences. Um, you know, it's funny you mention about Morgana and uh, running to woods and seeing the path moving like that. Maybe a couple of months ago, my husband, myself, and my kid went playing Pokemon Go <gasps> in one of the parks here in Laurel. Because, and you know, Laurel is a 
a weird place. So great, mm-hmm. great place to do it. But there was all these like rare Pokemon in there and it was like a good way to get our kid out of the house. She's She'd be a shut-in if we let her be, honestly. So we're going through a woods and I see this one of us like psychic mists coming up beyond these two trees. Oh boy. And I'm like, oh, here we go. This something's going to happen. So I, I speed up, stay close to my kid. You know, my kid is like totally involved, like absorbed in the Pokemon Go. And I kind of like give my husband a heads up. Like, I think these two trees here are going to put us into a bit of an altered reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I can see a mist and those two trees have got a vibe. I think we're going to be somewhere else. So we walk through the two trees and maybe like 10 paces in, my kid stops. She looks up and she's like, I don't like the vibes here. Can we go? And I'm like, yes, yes, let's turn around and go back through the trees. And my husband just looked at me like, holy hell. She felt it. She knew. Yeah. She's she's very aware of that stuff. She likes to pretend it doesn't exist. But there are times when she's like, mom, can you show me how to do a shield again? Mom, what do I do if this happens? Yeah. That's good. That's good. You know, sometimes pretending like it doesn't exist and it isn't real is a decent shield to Mm. keep it over there. But if you have any amount of ability, I think it actually makes it worse because they're going to come looking from anyway. Yeah. That's how it was for me when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it's, it turns into grand central station. If you don't have proper warding Yes, and you don't have a kid having proper, well, an appropriate level of training for their age and what they're involved in or what they're dealing with, mm-hmm. you know. And another thing I used to do when we used to go camping was um, we used to camp in the Black Hills on the regular. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever camped in there. No. It's it's known for Blair Witch Project, which was Oh, nonsense. yeah, I know where that is, but I never yeah. camped there. Well, we used to camp at this campsite outside of Rorasville, which is next door to Burkittsville. And... It's a really lovely campsite, but the local spirits were very active. And so before setting up my tent, I would always make offerings like, you know, hey, we're going to be here for this many days. Here's some offerings. I'm going to take all the trash. We're not going to do anything to leave any permanent harm. And we kind of go from there. But I would always make sure that we had iron under my kid's bed. And that I I spun some red wool or red thread and well. And like braid it together into an amulet and put it on a wrist, yeah, as a way to keep her in this world. Because, you know, I didn't have my kid getting snatched. No, no, that's, that's a hell no. No, she also has iron to carry with her as well when we're camping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh, but we we've accidentally camped in some really sketchy places too. There was one place I thought it was just us that were noticing it, but one morning I came out and the next tent over someone had put a salt circle around the outside of their tent. Hmm. So I'm like, I wonder what they've been seeing. Yeah. Have you ever been to Crystal Springs campsite? I have not. It's pretty. Um, yeah. It's a really pretty place, and it was – there. there's some spirits there. Where in, Where is it? It's in Maryland. Um, okay. It's off of 70. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's it's easy to get to. Um. But it's it's a really pretty place. Um, they used to have pagan festivals there, but there's lots of little little critters that you know you see out of the corner of your eye, and yeah, 
you know, they go dashing off and yeah, but they didn't yeah. seem to feel icky. So yeah. Yeah. You can, you can have all sorts of weird experiences. Also, Black Hills never felt icky either. You know, they just felt like, okay, we tolerate you humans in this spot. But if you ever went beyond kind of like the typical human spaces, you'd suddenly find that all of a sudden there are a lot of acorns falling from the trees that are just missing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can hear the snapping of twigs like someone's walking around, but in all directions around you. There's nothing to see. Yeah. And you're like, you just, at those moments, you're just like, okay, I just have to be here for this. I'll be gone in a moment. I'll leave you some cornmeal. I've got some in my bag. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Please don't kill me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always carry something you can give away. Always. Yeah. This is, um, this is one of the reasons why I started making like magical go bags. That's a good idea. Yeah. I always have some supplies in my bag. I have a main go bag that like for the times when I get a call saying, Hey cat, this thing's going down. Can you come and help out? And it's, I'm specifically going out to do magical work. Right. But then there's, you know, kind of like the smaller bags I keep in my, my regular handbag. So, you know, in the one that I carry around the most, I have black salt I have um, a hagstone. Mm -hmm. I have some protection oil that I made. I have some hematite. It's iron mm -hmm. in it, and it's less heavy. It's yeah, I was going to say it's iron. not. It's light. Yeah, yeah, and I have some citrine because citrine solar, and I also have some um, some cornmeal. I'm going to add some powdered honey to it as well. Nice, because I didn't know that existed. And then my friend mentioned it. I'm like, wait, 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 that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. Oh, I could get some powdered butter, powdered honey, mix it up. It's like catnip for the other crowd. Yeah, there you go. And it's easily to easy to transport. So I always have these like supplies in my bag. You know, there's always some measure of supplies in my bags, usually an offering substance and some apotropaic. Yeah. Because you never know what you're going to need to do. Oh, and string. Yeah. Because you can MacGyver all kinds of magical stuff with string. Yes. Yeah. You know, people really underestimate string and knots, like not magic. Not magic is a big thing, you know, and it, it's so simple, so powerful. Yeah. I And that's one of the things I was going to mention that I really liked about your book. You talk about spinning thread yeah. and not magic. Um, a few months ago, one of my podcasting friends, uh, Tim Renner, asked me to uh, do an analysis on a spell that's in one of the child ballads, The Witch Mother, mm. or um, King William. I don't remember what it is, but it, the main character in the story is William and his new wife. Mm. And they come home to his kingdom, and his mother does not like the new wife. And she's a witch. Classic. And so she puts the spell down on the wife. And um, Tim wanted me to, to break down what the spell was, how it worked, what it was doing. And it was a witch's ladder. It was mm. nine knots that were braided into her hair. Mm. And, you know, because, of course, the mother-in-law is pretending to be a nice lady. And so she braids her hair and then she makes a, a ladder of nine knots and all this. I'm like, oh, 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 I know what that is. You know, mm -hmm. um, Scott Cunningham made it into a nice spell 
the witch's ladder that you put blessings in, but it's not really, mm. that's not what its original purpose was. And so I was thinking about that as I was reading your, your knots. And that's something that I think we've lost is the understanding mm. of, of binding and unbinding mm -hmm. um, the purposes of doing it. Um, yes, you can do it as a curse, but it can also just be a stay out of my yeah. house or stay away from my kid, you know, stay away from my horse. You can put nine knotted something in a mane and, and you mm. know, not have pixie locks in the horse's mane and tail later. I think it's only to be expected because, I mean, we're not really, unless we choose to, we are not actually involved in fiber production anymore, most of us. Yeah. You know, most of us, when we get clothes, we go to a store, we buy them. Mm -hmm. So we're not really familiar with the properties of wool. We're not going to notice things like, okay, so the little, the little sort of like fibers of wool, they seem to stick together. When you spin them, bits of vegetable matter get bound in. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at when you look at a lot of like spells, there is this like sympathetic thing going on. You're you're doing in the micro what you want to happen in the macro. Right. And so I think a lot of people, because you know, you have this lack of familiarity with spinning, weaving in general, but you also have this idea of the fiber arts has been really benign and the thing that little grannies do. And that yeah, doesn't match grannies. the mental image. Yeah. That doesn't match the mental image of what a witch does mm. or a shaman, you know? So people really, they, they forget the real for the window dressing. Yeah. They forget the real for the aesthetic. And I mean, the aesthetic's cool, but you know, like, you can do a lot of damage with a piece of string mm -hmm. in someone's hair. You know, you, we have to find a way to be able to do both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really, I really uh, like that. I like the, you know, when, when people see little grannies knitting, I don't always, you know, I see, uh, you know, witches in a circle knitting. What, what are those marks on her needles? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do they mean? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, embroidery. Each stitch mm -hmm. is, is a word. Each stitch is a spell or a wish or an ill wish. Mm -hmm. You can put thorns into, you know, weave them into a fabric and that's an ill wish or a harm. Mm -hmm. Poppets. That, I think that's the only part that people kind of still understand as being yeah. malefic or magical because Puppets. you know dolls people yeah. are weirded out by dolls i mean yeah yeah i collect them but there are some dolls that they don't need to come to my house they can stay wherever it is that they are i have a horrible thing that happens whenever i because i have to be careful what i make mm -hmm. because there's there's like a, a track record of Things I make becoming inhabited. Yeah. If I'm not very intentional about it. Um, so whenever I make a doll, I have to make sure to, you know, name it right away. Mm -hmm. So and something doesn't go, oh, an empty yeah. vessel. I'm just going to. Yeah. Yeah. Because 
it's happened more than once. Like when I was 17, the first doll I made, I was learning how to sew my, my mom's uh, sewing machine. I'd always learn more from my dad when I was a kid. I used to travel in his truck all over the show and help unload carpets in Scotland and all kinds of stuff. So I was used to roughing it in a truck. Right. And then when I got older, my mom was like trying to get me to learn how to sew and knit and that lot. She gave up on knitting. But, um, and I learned from YouTube like five years later. But um, she got me at the sewing machine and I made a doll. And I decided this doll was going to be a gothic doll, gothic themed doll. I made it. I made her some little clothes. And I took her up in my room. I'm like, yeah, she's cool. Put her down. You know, you're 17. You made a cool thing, whatever. Anyway, I'm vacuuming a few days later. And I hang her up on like a hook because I want to move out of the way. My room is small. So, yeah. you know, space at a premium. A couple of days after that, I go to bed. And I, I have to be at work because back then I worked at a bakery. And so I had to be at work early. Yeah. I was opening. So I was trying to fall asleep, but I kept getting this feeling that something was wrong in the room. Something was off. I couldn't settle. I felt like threatened. You know, I didn't feel safe. So I'm there reading. I've got the, the radio on. It's right next to my bed. I've got the radio on and I'm reading. And my eye keeps getting drawn. And everything always used to show up in the West in my room, which back then I didn't understand why that would be. You know, but now I know it's either northeast or west mm. or north. That's usually the direction right. because it's the realm of the dead. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I can see this, this, so I can feel something coming from the west. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, I see the time. I think, okay, crap. I have to, I have to turn off the light and put my book down and try to go to sleep. I turn the light off. The feeling got worse. Mm. And I thought, I can't. I can't just be here in silence. I'm going to have the radio on still, like a little lifeline to civilization. Right. You know, back to normal. So I'm there, I'm lying in the dark, and I look at the corner of the room, and this mist is taking form, this gray mist. And I'm watching it, and it's still to this day, this is the most malevolent thing I've ever felt in my life. And I've had, I've had unseen beings push me around places before now. You know, like this thing in my room was way more malevolent than anything I've dealt with since. I don't use the word evil lightly, but I felt like this this being wanted to do me serious harm and it felt evil. And I kind of, I felt it growing and growing and growing. And I, I just kind of made a decision and I ran from room because I heard the TV on downstairs. I ran downstairs. My dad's up watching Jerry Springer. <laughs> So I come and I sit down and I'm like fidgeting in the chair because I'm antsy as hell. Yeah, you know, I'm terrified. Yeah. I don't know what the hell to do with this. I'm still I'm still like really relatively new to witchcraft. I'm like four years in. Never had some evil mist in my room before. So I'm there and my dad's like, oh, what are you doing up, love? I thought you were working early tomorrow. I said, well, I, I can't sleep. Not with that bloody thing in my room, dad. And he's like, what thing? I'm like, I don't know. It's in the corner. It feels evil. 
And he's like, oh, right, well, let's just wait till, like, the, the ad break, and then I'll go have a look. And I'm thinking, are you fucking kidding me, Dad? The ad break. <laughs> You're waiting for the commercial break to go deal with Springer. Beelzebub. To go deal with Beelzebub or weather in my bedroom. Oh, my God. So. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'm there, like, still fidgeting and twitching, absolutely terrified at the, like, the whole thing. Thinking, oh, God, we're getting so much trouble. We're getting so much trouble. What the hell? Ah, what if it gets my dad? You know. So the ads come on, and my dad just kind of goes, all right. And he gets up. And he's like, right, let's take a look at what's in your room. So I follow him up the stairs. On the third step, I notice he kind of pauses. Now, my parents' house weirdly has 13 steps, oh. which you never normally have, right? right? So my parents' house has 13 steps. He stops on the third step up. And kind of pauses and carries on going. I get on the third step and I hear this voice say, yeah, nice try, witch girl. Oh. And it's this horrible kind of, yeah, nice try. Like this kind of voice. And I'm kind of like, what the? this is going great. So I go upstairs after my dad. My dad walks into my room. As soon as he walks into my room, his guide comes through. He's no longer my dad. He's like, he just kind of like, stands there with his arms spread out in the room and he's he speaks to me he just says leave us in this voice that isn't his you know I can hear another voice in there too mm -hmm. you know and having seen my dad in that state before I knew that if I'd seen his face his face would not look like him either right and I'm like oh so I go out and this kids is what having a spiritualist dad is like your dad gets possessed sometimes so I go out and I go back downstairs, Jerry Springer's on, and I'm like, what the? and the whole thing is so surreal because upstairs my dad is doing battle with whatever denizen of the hell pit, whatever the heck it is, and I'm there with Jerry Springer blaring. What a mess. Yeah. The anyway, my dad comes down like 10 minutes later, and he's himself again, and he's like, so I, I figured out what it is, and you're not going to like it. I said, what is it? He's like, you know that doll you made? <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I, w I was in there and it's it's a really nasty spirit. And, you know, like I'm trying to like get to, like me and my guide are trying to get to the bottom of it. And my guide's like holding it in, like, you know, kind of like holding it back. And then I just happened to look at your doll and it smiled at me. Oh. Like it, its features moved. That's never good. And he's like, so do you want me to get rid of it? I'm like, yeah, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Like, I'm hysterical. By Cleanse the, it with point. fire, daddy. <laughs> no, no. My dad was like, all right, I'll go get rid of it. I'll put it in the wheelie bin. I'm like, oh, God. So <laughs> he goes upstairs. He gets the doll. He brings it downstairs. And he's like, it's normal looking now. Look at his face. It's normal. He's holding it in front of me. Look at his face. Look at his face. Oh, Look at his face, look at his face. And then he, um, like, it starts to change. I, I see it do this horrible, crooked smile. Oh. I start screaming. My dad just looks at it and goes, creepy bitch. <laughs> and goes, take, like, runs it outside and throws it into a wheelie bin. And I said to him, like, are you not going to burn it? He's like, no, I'll just send it off to tip with wheelie bin, you know. <laughs> and then now what what kind of aftercare do you think my dad would give 17 year old me for something as horrifying as this entire episode go up to bed oh no 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 oh nay nay even worse 
so he he like takes me back to my bedroom. He lights a candle on a little table, and he's like, "Okay, sit down there and meditate on this candle in the dark until you t- until you feel calm." And then he closed the door and left me in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! So this is why I'm really desensitized to a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> This is why it takes a lot to freak me out because these were my childhood experiences. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. that's beautiful. This is also why I don't make dolls. Yeah, yeah. I could see you not wanting to ever make a doll again. I don't think anyone wants me to make dolls, honestly. No. No. No, it's not. No, not after that. That's a that's a really bad first experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, looking back, it's hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Now. But back then, I was horrified. And then the next day, my mom was um, was like, I heard her shouting at my dad saying, I think she called it up, blah, blah, blah. Because that's a totally normal conversation to have in your house, right? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think she called it up. I've heard her chanting in a bedroom. And my dad's like, listen, there's no way she could have called that up. That that came of its own accord. Yeah. Okay. I know. I dealt with it. Like, don't give it. Don't give a crap for this. This is not her fault. And so I didn't get into trouble for having a possessed doll in the end, which was nice. But that whole week, I mean, that age group, 17, I think a lot of things happen around then anyway. Yeah. Just if you have the sight, it seems to be one of those age groups where yeah. things start to ramp up for yep. you. They do. They do. You know, like that, that week I went to my friend's house. I felt like I was being stalked. I went to my friend's house. I'm talking to my friend. She also grew up spiritualist. And so, you know, we're sitting downstairs, we're chatting, and we hear furniture moving around upstairs. Oh, no. And I'm like, is your roommate moving stuff around? And she's like, maybe. So we went upstairs. Her roommate, her roommate who was away was where the noise of the furniture was coming from. The door was locked. Oh. And all we could hear was furniture moving around inside it. Mm. Just... And none of us could get in. The person whose room it was was away visiting a family. And we're just like looking at this, looking at this door and these noises coming out of it. Like, should we go back downstairs again and get some wine? All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, that's yeah. And it was just like stuff like that. Boom, 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 boom. All the same week. Yeah. Yeah, I was a nervous wreck by the end of it. Of course you were. Absolutely. You should be. Uh, yeah, but I do remember, at, you know, the age between 15 and 17, 18 is really, it was really active, active. and weird. Yeah. And, and I hung out with weird kids that mm. had the same problem, you know, that, that we were yeah. all going through these weird things. We smell our own. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. We definitely like you can you can be someone you can spot you can spot someone yeah and then there's people who aren't involved in magic or witchery or dealing with any of this stuff who I think they have the they have the potential for it but they they don't want to go down that path and they're usually the people who approach you because they can sense you can do it. And they come to you completely out of the blue asking you to help with stuff. They do. It's like you have a sign yeah. on your forehead mm-hmm. right there. You know, ask yeah. me. Witchcraft, times, ask me. Yeah. The amount of times I get stopped in the local witch shop by customers. Yes. 
hey, I, I've got a boyfriend who left me. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, no, I'm out of here. No, 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 no. I'm not no, helping no, you with no. that. No, that's that's a bad path. That's a bad path. Go get therapy. Get therapy. Yeah. Therapy is <laughs> good for all sorts of things. I, 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 I'm a, I think that, yeah, I think that if you're involved in magic and witchcraft, you really need to be also working on yourself in that way too. Yes. I'll tell you the, the poltergeist activity around my house got a lot better after I got serious therapy. Mm. And That's you can good. tell if I ever get truly, truly stressed, stuff will start disappearing and appearing in stupid places. Do you get things uh, breaking as well, like oh, um, yeah. electrical stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do that all the time anyway. Yeah. I am hard on computers. Hard on computers, yeah. can't wear a watch. Um, yeah, it, that's it, yeah. yeah. I've been okay with like computers. I mean, once I got past the 18 to 24, 25 age range, I think, that's no, because I was still breaking the uh, electric blood pressure machines at the doctor's. Like they, oh, they, they don't work on me. They well. have to do it manually. Yeah, like they spit out like three different readings and then give you an error message. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shut off. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Like I found that the more like because I do a lot of you, you've read my book. I do a lot of like purification sort of stuff on myself. When I don't do that, that's when the electronic issues ramp up. Mm -hmm. And when I don't ground, when I, you know, when I'm careless with my psychic hygiene i guess yeah you know? it, it, that's a good way to put it you know yeah the self-care that you should be doing because you do psychic work magic work if you mm. don't pay attention to that you're gonna have things following you home you're gonna have headaches you know mm -hmm. you might give someone else a headache yeah like even if you're not talking about ache that you're picking up because i think people can get very paranoid about this topic you know they kind of get into this mentality of oh i'm purifying because there's a reason to like there's something like if i don't then i'll get an attachment and yeah there's that reason but if you're working with energy on a regular basis and you are sensitive to energy and you kind of you kind of pick up what's in your environment and channel it like really easily you need that anyway yeah you know it's that's just part of like taking care of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way energy work works is you channel it through your body and, mm -hmm. and you know, your spirit, it, it goes through you body and soul. Clearly. You, I mean, you're not just a machine. Mm -hmm. Well, and even machines need to be, you know, taken apart, cleaned and oiled and yeah. put back together. So, you know, but you can't just, you know, do, energy work and healing and all of these things without taking time to cleanse yourself and, yep. and heal yourself. And so few people think about the physical effects of magic. You know, that's not really a discussion that we have in the modern pagan, heathen, witch communities, you know, like the physical symptoms, like you mentioned headaches, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I can pop a migraine when the energy is too high. Yeah. And then I'll cleanse myself, I'll do a purification, and it's gone. Yep. You know, because you've sloughed it off. You've kind of gotten rid of that extra. Um, then, like, stomach issues. You can have stomach issues. You can have a racing heartbeat. I've had, when I've been doing pretty intense work before now, I've had an eye stop working. Mm. And then it's come back online again when I've purified. Right. <laughs> you know, 
Um, and that's, I think there's only one writer really writing about this, um, Josephine McCarthy. And she talks about the usefulness of adaptogens to help support your body during, um, during like magical work. Because you know, on the one hand, you have the cleansing afterwards. But if you're going to be doing this regularly, I think there's a lot of value to sort of adjusting your supplements to, to sort of reflect that, yeah. to try and minimize any damage during the process. Yeah. You know, one of the things she's noticed is that it affects your adrenal system more than others, which is why you try to add adaptogens to kind of support the adrenal system. And I definitely noticed a difference mm -hmm. since, um, since adding the adaptogens in. Well, even the simplest thing, I know that when I, when I became really active in witchcraft when I was 15, the people I worked with, we ate after any serious magical working and we yep. ate things that had a specific it, protein, mm -hmm. a little bit of salt yep. and sh some sugar, You preferably honey. Um, yep. Her favorite thing to do was to mix honey into peanut butter mm. and put it on homemade bread and we would eat that. And it really did help. And, and it, <clears throat> it, you know, the cakes and ale is part of the Wiccan ceremony. Mm. I always thought that it wasn't just, oh, a symbolic eating and mm. drinking. And, and no, it's you should, reason. you should eat and drink. Yeah. Not these little dainty little bites. But yeah. if you don't, you're not grounded. Yeah. You're not going to be completely in your body. And I, I think that when people forget about those kinds of things, it's, not really good for them. I think there's a problem as well with like how we view the body and magic, because if you notice a lot of the sort of magical practices that a lot of modern people do, they're very much mind-based, mm -hmm. you know, they're very much. We're very intellectual. It's not embodied. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not grounded in the body. We don't tend to see the body as also being a magical instrument. Mm -hmm. Now in heathenry, like we have a few approaches to what the soul or souls look like. The one that I work with is um, Winifred Rose's heathen solar approach. It's, I put my own version in the book. This was before I read Winifred's stuff and her stuff's way better. I have no issue saying that. You know, I, I absolutely love her work. It's so useful. It has, it is, really helped me get a lot of breakthroughs and practices that I'm working on and experimenting with. And one of the souls is actually the body. You have a soul associated with your physical body and the hammer soul. And that to me is such a departure from how we see spirituality. You know, we've had a millennium and a half, depending on where you're from, a millennium and a half of Christianity that has taught that the body is sinful and wrong and that the only value is in what passes on after death. Mm -hmm. And that affects, I think that really affects how we see magic, you know, and how we approach it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, I don't know, with all these things like animism, with embodied practice, I just see so many areas where, we have a lot of baggage from Christianity. It's not stuff that people necessarily think about or notice, but it is the stuff that's underlying these 
differences. And I'd like to see more people talking about them and sort of exploring them and kind of confronting them because I suspect they're holding a lot of us back in a lot of ways and we could all be a whole lot happier too, I think. Yeah, healthier. Yeah. I, I really, I really think so. I recently was just thinking about, you know, how our bodies are actually what give us emotions. The hormonal systems, you know, we get cortisol if if we're in, and adrenaline, and those two can can cause fear. And then there's oxy, oxytocin, that mm-hmm. is the love hormone that makes you calm, makes you happy, makes you feel mm-hmm. affection and grounded. And you know, I have cats and dogs, and I've always had cats and dogs. And you know they're they're finding that it, petting a dog or petting a cat lowers your blood pressure mm-hmm. and makes your breathing even out and and makes your heart rate slow. And it's like, guys, it, petting a cat, just the simple act of that, mm-hmm. it's doing something that's changing your body and then it's changing your emotions because your mm-hmm. body changes your emotions we think of emotions as something that's in our mind Mm -hmm. and we intellectualize them well we feel this because we think that and it's actually no we feel this because we feel this Mm -hmm. and our body responds to what we feel and then we feel more or we feel something different and then our brain is like getting in on the action yeah and then yeah and then we get stuck in our brain side of things oh, and yeah. don't address the somatic. Yeah, so. and I'm horrible yeah. for getting stuck in the brain side of things. I'm a very mm-hmm. logical person, so, you know. I, I think I that's kind of a defense as well. Like when you are around a lot of weird stuff, yeah. you know, there's always this, I don't know, I've always tried to debunk things. I do too, yes. You know, I've always tried to apply logic. And there's just so much stuff that isn't logical when you – yeah. You know, like in Germany, I saw this Frodo, well, I heard this noise in my apartment. I'm talking to my husband one night. He was deployed in Iraq, and I'm there in my apartment just kind of talking to him on the phone, and I hear this popping noise, and a moment later, I see this this person who kind of reminds me of, reminded me of Bilbo Baggins, no, Frodo Baggins, Elijah Woods, right? right. Frodo Baggins, and he's similarly dressed, and I'm like, all right. Uh, and then he disappears. So I go over to the area. I don't feel anything out, anything there anymore. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I hallucinated that guy. I'm going to see if I can replicate that sound because maybe something happened with the junction box. It's right here. I start messing around. I cannot replicate the sound, the popping sound. Anyway, maybe a couple of weeks later, a new spoon shows up in my drawer, my cutlery drawer that I did not buy. Mm. At that point, I I didn't have a whole lot of stuff because I'd moved from South Korea to Germany. And I knew I literally had four spoons, four knives, four forks, and four teaspoons. Plus chopsticks, my spoon that went with my chopsticks that I got in Korea, and I think like a, a curved knife for cutting potatoes. I didn't have a whole lot. Right. So, you know, I'm kind of... 
I'm, I'm looking at the spoon and it looks weird. And I'm like, I'm just going to ignore that. And I go about my day, I go about my business. Maybe a week later, I, I go to get something out of the cutlery drawer. I notice a new fork. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I ignore it again because I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I did some research on what this could have been. And the thing I read, whether it's right or wrong, said that it's kind of like a boggart. Mm. And I'm thinking, I'm from Lancashire. I know boggart rules, all right? You ignore them. You don't give them names. You pretend they're not there. So I wasn't going to give it a name. That's for sure. So I, uh, I'm there. In my, I live my life. A few weeks later, a knife shows up. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and then later that night, I decide I'm going to make some offerings to my gods and ancestors. You know, I'm just ignoring this dude. I'm make some offerings to my gods and ancestors i set up the shrine in, in the bedroom because we didn't want it in the living room with living on a military base yeah and um set up a shrine i'm like you know make doing a ritual i hear this series of bangs coming from the part of my apartment where i first saw him and then each of the doors in turn coming towards where i was and I'm just like, oh, hell no. So I open the door. I'm like, look, you little shit. It's not happening. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm not easy to scare. I'm telling you now, which is probably a bad idea to say this. Don't try this at home, kids. It worked for me. It might not work for you. Cannot guarantee this. <laughs> so I'm like, no, either you get the F out or I'm going to get mad. And then there's this almighty bang and it went. <laughs> I still have the spoon. <laughs> it showed up. It showed up in the garden last year after being missing for like since New York. I think the last time I saw it was in 2014. It showed up in the garden last year. He wanted you to have that spoon. I get stalked by that spoon. <laughs> There's just no point getting worried about this stuff or upset about it because you just Weird stuff just happens. Things appear. It, Things disappear. <laughs> Can you bring it back? I'll give you an offering if you bring it back. Yeah. I have even converted my my father-in-law, a very logical, very rational man. Mm -hmm. He knows I do the, the podcast. He knows I'm working on a book. He's known I've I've been a pagan since the beginning. He's a very nice man. He's he's he was a doctor. He's it's just, you know, very logical. Um, but he, I, he had heard me tell stories of, you know, things would go missing. And so I would ask for, for it back. Mm -hmm. I'd ask the house to give it back and I'll give you yeah. this if you give me that back. And, and this, this game that we play with the house where we play, you know, give, push me, pull you, you know. <laughs> And and he's he's like you know it's just that you've forgotten where you've put it and I said oh that's possible yeah but it usually shows up in a place either where I've looked at it directly and that place five or six times and it wasn't there before or, or somewhere really conspicuous or so, yes or someplace mm -hmm. really stupid where you would never put it you know <laughs> and so a couple couple years ago it was a year ago I think he he called me and he said so you know how you talk to the, the house? And I said, yeah. He said, well, so we're getting ready to move to the back to Miami. 
they don't stay in Miami because of hurricane season. So during hurricane season, they're up in New England. And he said, so we're, we're getting ready to go back to Miami. So we have all this paperwork we have to take back and forth. And mm-hmm. he said, and we used the guest room to put all, it's our staging area for packing. So we put all the stuff in there. And he said, I had this tray that had all the paperwork on it. And it had been on my dining room table for months. And it's just where we would put the paperwork and we just put it down in the mail and whatever it was. And he said, I thought I had put it into the, into the guest room on the bed. So I went to look for it and it wasn't there. And, and, you know, his wife went to look for it, wasn't there. And he went to look for it on the dining room table. He, and, and this house, the summer house, is not really cluttered. They're not very cluttered people anyway. Mm. Um, but it's really not cluttered. Like my house, mm. there's so many books. Yeah, you, can, you can lose stuff in this house so mm. easy. But theirs is really pretty plain. I can't imagine losing anything there. Next time I go visit, I'm sure I'll lose jewelry or something. But... <laughs> He, he, he just jinxed himself. I know, right? <laughs> and he, he, he kept looking and looking. He said, so I said, what would Barbara do? And he said, Barbara would, would talk to the house and ask for it back. So he went to every room and he said, I, I really need this paperwork back. I have to move in a week. We're driving out in a week. We're going to drive to Miami. I really need it back. Would you please bring it back? He said, so, you know, hour or so later, I went into the guest room and it was right there on the bed where I had looked for it on the top of stuff, not underneath stuff, but on the top of stuff. He said, so now anytime something's lost, I'm going to ask for it back. (laughs) So seeing is believing. Yes, it is. It is. I said, all these years, I've finally rubbed off on you. Well, things have gotten more active, I think, more they recently. Have. Morgana you know, like, and I noticed that. I, I kind of feel like the f- this is super weirdly specific, but I kind of feel like um, the final Wednesday in in August in 2015 was when it started to ramp up. Like there was this moment at like 9 p.m. and I'm just kind of walking between rooms in my house and I just kind of felt this shift. And I'm like, oh, something happened there. I don't know what it is, but something happened. And then a bunch of other people I know were like, did anyone feel that weird thing at like right nine o'clock last night? And I'm like, yes, yes, that I felt it too. Yes, you yes, felt see. it. Mm-hmm. But things have just kind of gotten way more intense since then. Yeah. And especially since, I mean, the pandemic. 2019 um, is when we felt it really, really hard. And mm-hmm. everyone Morgana and I knew and people in our family, we all noticed this ramping up. 2019 was absolutely off the rails, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I got called to help out with so much stuff in 2019. And then early 2020, our street was full of shadow people. Mm-hmm. Not Just surprised. like they were everywhere, absolutely everywhere. It got to the point where I'd be standing outside talking to my neighbor at a distance because it was like early 2020 when everyone's like, we've got to keep away from each other because you've got plague. So 
I'm standing on the street talking to my neighbour and she she sees things too. Like this is the daughter. She sees things too. And I said, like, we're, we're just talking. And I just saw this shadow person running up the street. And I'm like, huh. And my neighbour's daughter's like, what? And I was like, this sounds really strange. But like, I, I just saw some shadow person run up there. And she's like, are you kidding me? I've been seeing those damn things all damn week. And then it was like, it got to the point where she was messaging me saying, look outside, you're all out again. Wow. And you could look out the window and just see them running around. It was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And then one night she sent me a message. This was also 2020. And she's like, I've got it. I looked out the window and I saw someone next to your Josh's car. Josh's my husband. I saw someone next to your Josh's car. He's he's not a human. Okay. And I get I get like a, a really hinky feeling about him. I just wanted to warn you. So I'm like, oh, I'll go have a look. I looked out the kitchen window and I saw this kind of blue firelight type mm-hmm. thing. Like just sometimes you see the flash of energy. Yeah. Not the shape. Yeah. So I saw that and I'm like, what are you doing next to my husband's car? What the heck? So I go to the front door. I open up the front door because I'm ready to be like, what the heck do you want? I open up the front door and then this guide I work with, one of the alpha I work with, is like, go no further. Stay behind the screen door. I did. And I'm looking at this being and I'm thinking, that ain't right. If I'm being told to stay behind the screen door, the wards are holding. I'm going to go back inside. So I closed the door, and within like half an hour, I felt physically ill. I had a low-grade fever. I felt achy. It was almost like this, whoever it was outside, had like a radiation kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you hear about these people who go missing, Mm -hmm. and they come back and they have like signs of mild radiation sickness. Mm -hmm. It was like that kind of low-grade fever, feeling sick, like really icky. And then a friend of mine had a similar experience where afterwards she felt the same thing. So I'm like, huh, I guess some new new beings on the block, right? Good times. Going to avoid those. Sounds a little gin-like. Well, the next night, the next day, I decided to go out with some black salt and sprinkle it where it was. <laughs> I came back worried of being someone, you know, you're not hanging outside my house. Go away. And... I got a text message from my friend, like my neighbor. I came back in the house. I saw my phone. She'd sent the text while I was outside sprinkling the black salt. And she was like, what the hell did you just do? All the doors, all the cupboard doors in my kitchen just opened. Oh, I was like, I just sprinkled salt on the space where that dude was last night and said F off a few times. (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of why we started a podcast, really, was because we had seen... Because this increase in... And I was seeing a lot of people online who had never seen anything or experienced anything suddenly. Oh. That's been the most striking thing, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. People who never had anything of a sort yeah. are having these absolutely wild, visceral experiences. Yes, yes. And very otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Um the the you know lights in the sky lights 
in the woods, all of that, that's started ramping up just enormously. And people who've never read any of this stuff, mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite story was I was on Reddit once and this man who was a, he operated a backhoe. He was doing excavation down in North Carolina um, in the mountains. And uh, he turned around and looked and on top of the pile of dirt, he was, you know, from where he was digging, there was this little man and he was about, you know, two and a half feet tall and all dressed in brown, had very brown skin. Um, and he was mad. He was really mm -hmm. angry. And, and he was looking at him with the, you know, look. Mm -hmm. And, he, you know, he was like, I've never seen anything like that before. I mm -hmm. don't ever want to see it again. What was that? And a lot of people were like, oh, it was a this, it was a that, it was a... Mm -hmm. My feeling is it's it's probably one of the the little people that live in the mountains that the mm. Cherokee talked about. And uh, so I, I private messaged him. I'm like, look, you don't know me from Adam, mm. but a lot of what these people are telling you, it's a gnome. It's a, it's a, you know, a leprechaun. I'm like, this is not the area for leprechauns mm. or gnomes. Um, and, and some of them were like, oh, he's probably harmless. I'm like, mm -hmm. I, so I said, okay, look, he's probably one of the little people mm -hmm. and you probably dug up his house mm -hmm. and he's probably not real happy with you about it. Now I know it's your job and you are doing what you're being paid to do, but he probably doesn't see it that way. Yeah. And he's like, well, what can I do? And I said, okay, so get some tobacco some loose tobacco, preferably something that doesn't have all of Philip Morris's crap mm -hmm. additives in it. And I said, some cornmeal mm -hmm. and go to where you saw him and leave those items and apologize profusely and say that you are doing this because that is where you were told to dig. That is what you were doing. You did not mean to harm his house and please let us, let us be in peace. Mm. And and he was like, well, what about all those other things those people said? I said, well, I'm not saying they're absolutely wrong, but no. they're probably wrong. <laughs> He's like, do you yeah. see these things? And I said, yeah, a lot. Um, mm. That's why I decided, you know, everybody was being very intellectual about it. I'm like, no, nah, just just try this and mm. see if you. And he he stopped having nightmares and he felt better. Good. So hopefully, the the little man took his apology yeah. and and was cool. But that's part of why we started the podcast because all of these people just kept seeing weird stuff and mm. it hasn't stopped and it hasn't really slowed no. down. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely cranking up. I think, I think it's getting more intense. I have a friend, she lives in Hagerstown. She saw different types of little folk two times a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. She posts it on Facebook and she's like, what, what is going on? I And she's involved in magic, so she's not a stranger to it. So, but she's like, I've never seen them like with this regularity and so clearly. So just like they're here. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there are a few theories about this, but let me tell you the one I, I think. Um, so, yeah. 
and she's always astounded by the pictures I take of my street. Mm-hmm. The other day I posted some pictures when I was out walking the dog and she's like, your streets, the pictures look like how everything looks to me after I've been doing major magical work. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's like time and space are folding in on itself in your street. Yeah. I was like, hey, you should see it in person. <laughs> <laughs> it's extra special. <laughs> Sometimes the camera does not pick up the mist at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just walking the dog the other day, I got these um these purple lights in a tree. Mm-hmm. Well, two trees growing together and forming like a little oh, yeah. thing between them. Yeah. That's what I found when I went back the next day because I'm like, all right, let's see what's actually here because I want to debunk things. Is there anything in the tree that could have caused that? No. Nah. Okay. And it's two trees really closely together that beings could pass through. All right, yeah, all right. Okay. That'll explain the purple things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just stuff like that. There's one tree on the street as well now that kind of looks like it's set back from the rest of reality. Yeah. Like it's not quite on the same level here. And it's not even a special tree. It's like one of those shrubs that landscapers plant. Yeah. It's not even like an exciting tree. Yeah. But it's, yeah. It's still market it's just, a place. It's just life round here nowadays. Yeah. So just, what is your yeah. theory as to why all of these things are, are happening? And with that, we should probably go because we've been talking forever. We have. Oh, my God. And you're, you're looking sleepy. I am. I'm up at like six again. Um, so my theory is they were once driven out. Mm-hmm. They're coming back. That's the, the, the bones of it. Yeah. And that's pretty much what. I hate to be that person saying, this is what the elves told me. But um, that's totally what they told me. (laughs) The ones I work with. (laughs) That's totally what they told me. Like, yeah, we're coming back. Um, So I don't know what that's going to look like. But the whole thing, like, with my street being, like, weird reality shifty stuff now, I kind of wonder if it's going to be, I mean, I don't know, is that going to wind up everywhere? Like, yeah. It's hard to say. So get some iron. Get some iron, guys. Yeah. Yeah. If you're uh, not up for uh, dealing with this, get some iron. And stay away from fairies. Yeah. Iron iron horseshoes. Iron horseshoe nails. And try to be on good terms. Yeah. You know, like, try to be friends first. Yeah. One of the things that I do, and I think this is one of the reasons why, I'm one of the few people who can go in the back, in the woods, where it's the weirdest, without any like without being scared or feeling unwelcome. And I think it's because I have been building relationships with the spirits in there for years now. And I also go in there periodically and I pick up trash. Yeah. They do you love know? when you pick up trash. Yeah. So if you can, like, I, if you want to kind of like have good relations, because if they are coming back to be our hopefully good neighbors, um, it is a good idea to try and get off on a good foot, but also make sure you have good boundaries. Yes. Good fences make good neighbors. Exactly. And it also lets, I think they like that as well because it's defining. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a delineation. And it's not necessarily that they won't ever violate it, but it's just. It's a reminder. They like things clearly marked out. Yeah. And a lot of the rules that surround mm-hmm. them and that, that, that those came from 
experiences over and over and over over mm. time between humans yeah. and the others. And read the traditional stories. Yeah. Learn read those. the traditional stories. Do not like I mean, I keep recommending Morgan Daimler's work because their work on this subject is absolutely it it is the best stuff out there. It's very accessible. And if you want to avoid getting dragged off into fairy or whatever, you know, go read Morgan's work. Um, they have probably the best information out there on this. I'm, there's a new author coming out, uh, Daniela Semina. She grew up with a, uh, she's Romanian. She grew up with a grandmother who was a fairy healer. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, um, I recently endorsed her book that's coming out, I think it's next year. And it is absolutely amazing. Do you remember the it's title? Just, I know you just said that you didn't remember titles. Uh, I don't. I don't, but I can message you with it. Okay. Because I talked to her a lot about it. But it's written kind of like an autobiography, but it's also explaining the tradition that she grew up in. That's excellent. It's such a good book. And she's one of the people who, you know, I read her stuff and I'm like, you know what? If we got together, we could work together magically without too many explanations. Yeah. Because even though you grew up in Romania and I grew up in, you know, Northwest England in Lancashire, mm -hmm. there's enough common ground here. Mm -hmm. We're still pulling from the same thread. So, you know, she's definitely, her and Morgan are the people I absolutely recommend. I think one of the things that is interesting is before this ramping up and them coming back started happening was the waves of new neo-pagan and witch and magical tradition coming back starting in, you know, the 19, well, the 1890s and then the 19 teens, twenties, thirties, forties, and then 50s and it's and it just new things have been coming back yep. and old traditions are coming back mm -hmm. and you know there's places where the old ways never truly died they just changed with the times mm -hmm. so yeah like Appalachia with the mm -hmm. you know the dowsing with the stick yeah you know that you just reach down and pick up I mean once you find a good one you keep it but yeah you've got to get a good one yeah <laughs> but if you have to, and if you don't have, you just look for one. Mm. But thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. You, you were this wonderful. Has been a really exciting conversation. It's been fun. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. You're welcome to come. I say this with people, you know, you're welcome to come back anytime. If you have something you need to say, I'm always up for hearing it. Awesome. All right. Um, can I promote a class? That I'm yes, teaching? you can. You can promote whatever you like. Oh, thank you. Um, so I'm teaching a class on the 30th of this month. It's a two-part class. It's called Mound Magic. Because <laughs> I like puns. So I don't remember the subtitle. Because again, I'm terrible with titles. <laughs> so it's called Mound Magic. And it's I've shared the link on my CEO Helruna Facebook page. So it's on there. I'm going to do another publicity burst. And basically, it's looking at burial mounds, the kind of sort of intermediary technologies associated with burial mounds that you can then sort of use in necromancy. Mm -hmm. um, 
how like the kind of mechanics, the internal mechanics of the necromancy in a mound. And it's by the end of the two classes, you should be able to cr- ritually create a burial mound for work that should give you the same effect as being inside a real burial mound. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. That sounds like a really tall claim, but there is actually old school tech for this. So I'm just explaining what I think is already there and that I think I've got really good evidence for and that I've been experimenting with. So this sounds exciting. There's also going to be some like meditations and um, sort of like exercises involved in these classes. More the second one than the first one. But yeah, this is this is what's going on. I think the second one is November 13th. Okay. Although I might be wrong. But you'll see it in the link if you find the first one. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.